Hi there. Welcome to The Preventable, the podcast giving you a seat at the table with conversations about the intersection of alcohol, drugs, and mental health in everyday lives. Take a seat and join us. Welcome to The Preventable. Uh, my name is Annie O'Donoghue, and I'm filling in for Nicole as she is at jury duty today. And super excited for our guest, Rafe Williams. Um, welcome. I I was asked to do this. I've been a prevented team member for a little over four years. I run Sands Bar. And um, I think because, well, I think there's a few reasons, is Rafe will be headlining. Would that be the correct term? Yeah. Hosting headlining uh, this Friday, uh, March 3rd at 7 p.m. at the Burgess Theater at COCA for our young professionals or or junior board, uh, YPPE, for their first fundraiser for Prevented. They're doing a comedy show. And um, I signed up or I asked to be able to find the comedians because I take improv classes, which is very different from stand-up comedy, but I'm like, oh, I, I can find good people. And whenever Andy Slowey of the Improv Shop gave me your name, Tina's name, a few other names, I was like, it has to be Rafe. I've seen you perform. I know of you just through the Improv Shop. Um, so here he is. And we're going to be just talking about all things improv, comedy, sobriety, a bunch of stuff. Um, Stock so- tips, everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And kudos to Nicole for being a good citizen. Right. Uh, and for fulfilling her obligation <laughs> of jury duty I've, i weasel out of it any way i can i've never been asked i've had to but i lived out of state and i'm obsessed with law and order so i like really want to so i feel like because of that i've never been asked um i'm surprised know, right? they asked me this year and i was like that's how you know your sobriety has outlived some of your shame <laughs> And I was like, man, did you guys do a background check? Right? Like, there's a couple DUIs floating around uh, out there. I would think you wouldn't even ask me to be on, but... You know, maybe that... Maybe they're getting desperate. Maybe there's a reason they haven't asked me. Yeah, you it's possible. <laughs> I hope my mom's not listening to this. Um, so, okay. So, I've been wanting to do an episode about comedy, improv, all of that. Sure. And how it relates to mental health. Because, like I was saying before, I've had... Friends, when I lived in New York, I had, you know, I was in the restaurant industry, so I was friends with actors and comedians and all that, and I learned that stand-up that comes across as so just, you know, shooting the breeze, just making this up on the spot is so rehearsed and, like, how vulnerable you have to be to, like, workshop your material. Um, Sure. And how a bunch of comedians that I know are sober and I either know I just knew them from working with them or just being sober myself. Uh, That seems really cool. And it seems to be kind of like a laugh at my pain, you know, sure, laughing at like, let's say your childhood or your family is very therapeutic. And then on the other end, taking improv and I know I'm covering a lot right now. Sure. But, you know, I would say the principle of improv is yes. And we always yes. And for sure. Right. Yep. 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 And so for me, I've been really trying to apply that to just my life. Like if someone presents an opportunity, yes, and I don't, I just, yes, we'll see what comes of it. So let me backtrack. Rafe, uh, Rafe Williams, you may have seen him on Up Late 
St. Louis. STL Uplate. Yes, yes STL Uplate. Digital Channel 4.3. I was on a show called STL Uplate that was in the coveted 1 a.m. time slot between Andy Griffith and Chuck Norris's Total Gym infomercial. Ooh. Yeah. And that was all sketch. Yeah, that was like kind of a late night talk show slash sketch. So it was like if SNL and The Tonight Show had a baby in St. Louis, that was our show, kind of. It was very St. Louis-centric. We had St. Louis musical guests. Um, and then we did, we had a host who would interview one St. Louis celebrity. Uh, and then we would do sketches in between. So it was pretty cool. Do you ever think that will come back? I mean, I would love it if it did, but no, I don't. Everyone has kind of moved on. We've Some of our cast has gone to Chicago. It wouldn't come back in the same way, but we have done live shows. We've done live reunion shows, which are fun, because we started live in a Satori Art Gallery on Locust, got a cult following, turned into a TV show for the last, for seasons five and six and seven. But our wow. first four runs were live and we did it in front of a live audience and it just kind of picked up steam like that. So, and we've come back and done reunion shows or some version of STL up late and those have been fun, but everybody's kind of moved on to greener pastures. And, um, I mean, yeah, in a perfect world on Netflix, I'd love to do it. Uh, well, speaking of Netflix, you, that's sketch stand up. You've, well, you've got your own album, young grandpa. Yep. Yep. I saw that you recorded, live from zanies which is on peacock yeah it was uh it was supposed to be it was on circle tv and then peacock bought circle oh. one of those conglomerates where big fish eats little fish so it's on peacock now yeah uh you've been named like one of st louis's funniest people and you've opened for a bunch of comedians um but i bring up netflix because you've been at a bunch of uh, festivals and netflix is a joke was one of them yeah it was super fun um crazy crazy I, they, they, there's no way they could do it every year it was the most like jam-packed festival i've ever there was like a shit there was like a night that i was like do i want to see john mulaney and earthquake at the hollywood bowl tina fey and amy poehler do live comedy theo vaughn and andrew santino at another theater or jason uh excuse me, Ben Schwartz do improv. And that was all, those shows were all happening at the same time. And like you were part of that LA. lineup. I was. I, I opened for Trailer Trash Tammy uh, oh. uh, at the Regency Theater. And it was, a, it was a cool experience. It was cool to be part of that. And, um, you know, I shot a special last year in Edwardsville at the Wildy Theater. And Netflix was looking at it. For a while, they eventually they passed, which doesn't surprise me. They're kind of like star bangers, for lack of a better <laughs> word, uh, which I totally get. But it, you know, it's those things where like little failures or things that feel like a disappointment at the time lead to other things. And I'm going out there in March to record like a seven minute showcase for Netflix that's wow. going to be on their Sirius XM channel. So it's like you know, sometimes you don't get the thing you want in the moment that you want it but it leads to something better so you have to be patient that's kind of how comedy is it's two steps forward one step back a lot and to just think i want to hear how you got to where you are today but sure netflix passing on something <clears throat> is a huge it's still a huge thing like netflix was watching your stuff so you've done improv absolutely how did you get into the world of all of that all of what funny i guess for lack of better words well just... so not to bum anyone out uh but 
you know, I didn't avoid the stereotypical comedic journey. There are some comics that were fully formed, grew up in a great household, had no childhood trauma, and good for them, Jerry Seinfeld. But Those are very rare. They're very rare. I'm like the old, I'm a typical, I'm very stereotypical chestnut, grew up in kind of an abusive home, had a very domineering father who kind of shadow loomed heavy on our household. I was the oldest of three boys, and I realized early that I could... Uh, I would make fun of him or impersonate him behind his back and to my mom and brothers, or I would just do characters and kind of make my mom and brothers laugh. And I realized that uh, comedy was kind of a reprieve from heavy stress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went to school and I was the class clown at school. I did a lot of goofing around at school and stuff like that. So early on, I realized you could weaponize comedy to um, alleviate suffering. And that made me feel good. It made me feel like I was doing something. And I think there's a lot of suffering in the world. And if you can, um, any art that that alleviates a little bit of suffering, I think has tremendous value, even if it's just, you know, talking about farts. <laughs> I agree. I've got this magnet on my refrigerator that says, the shortest distance between two people is a laugh. And I think- sure you can make somebody laugh or you just two people are laughing like there's something magical about that there's something magical about comedy that it you know going back to your childhood it like took you away from that and it took Mm -hmm. your mom and your brothers away from that and just for momentarily you forget the stuff that's going on right right it doesn't necessarily it doesn't mean that at four o'clock when he gets (laughs) off work we're not all in a world of pain but it's like at least at two o'clock right. we cannot be thinking about it right you know <clears throat> and it, it 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 carries over into other parts of life of too course. you know of course so you went from class clown to then what well there was a long journey between that you know i talked about this a little bit last week but um side note this is rafe's second time sitting down with us so yeah, thank we you don't have to, we can cut that out uh <laughs> The, I wrote a letter in third grade, you know, when you write a letter at the beginning of school and you're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then yeah. you read it at the end of the year to see how much you've changed. Yeah. Mine was comedian. You know, usually it's like fireman, astronaut. <laughs> oh, wow. I wanted to, First mine president. was comedian and it was comedian at the end of third grade and it, and that envelope never changed for me. But wow. I grew up in a very rural, uh, I would say impoverished area, coal mine country after the coal mine shut down and. Mm-hmm. The reality of being like a performance artist was not really, it just wasn't, and it wasn't that people were not supportive. It was just like that seemed like such a huge pipe dream where I grew up that they, you kind of get put into these other molds. It's very blue collar. So you need to go to work. You need to go to either go to work, you go to college, you go to the military. Right. And I, I fell into that. You know, I went to the military. I had a son at a very young age. So I was kind of like trying to figure out life and I didn't really get into comedy until I was like in my 30s. How did you know what a comedian was in third grade? I don't think I would have known a comedian or stand-up HBO. comedy. You have to have one rich friend. That's how we <laughs> gauged that's how I gauged wealth uh, oh, at, yeah. at childhood was like who had HBO people, yeah. and who had a pool or a trampoline like that to me that was like your father must be a Saudi prince for all I know. And name brand food. Oh yeah. If, if you, you know, had if you had cereal that if you had lucky charms and not right. uh, magic shapes <laughs> right. you, you had were, it made yeah you were doing something um your dad was successful <laughs> so 
I I remember watching like uh, Andrew Dice Clay and and knowing that I was seeing something like bad that I wasn't supposed to see at a very young age, mm-hmm. late at night. And but then George Carlin came on after that, and I remember watching George Carlin when everyone else was sleeping at a slumber party, and feeling like I'm like he was talking to me, and wanting to wake people up and be like, "Hey, this is something. This is different." Like I knew that what Dice was doing was funny, and like I was saying naughty words and. But there was something about what George was doing that was different that spoke to me. And then I just got really into it and I started, you know, looking, seeking it out, finding whether it was sometimes I had to. It was just like an old uh, album, you know, record that went into a record player that like I would listen to or my friends would have or we'd sit in the parking lot and listen to Dennis Leary's or Adam Sandler's cassette tapes. Wow. Of like their comedy tapes and thing, you know, like, and I watched Saturday Night Live religiously as a kid, you know, like I didn't go out on Saturday. I was watching it from the time I was in fourth grade on. So, you know, you just got exposed to it. The internet wasn't really banging, mm-hmm. you know, Netscape Navigator was not <laughs> going to let you just stream comedy 24 seven. So I just had to get it where I could get it, you know. Okay. So fast forward, you are, you're a dad. Mm-hmm. You were a young dad, so by the time you get to your 30s and you venture into comedy, just sure. one day you were like, I'm mm-hmm. going to do comedy? Like, Well, in the throes of the worst parts of my addiction and alcoholism, I was just getting like untenable at the end, just becoming a caricature of myself. Mm-hmm. I always say that like I became that drawing at the state fair where your head's really big and your body's small and you're riding a surfboard and there's beer cans all around and it's like... I became like a sad caricature of myself. And I don't know about you. It's almost like for me, I could see myself like not an out of body experience per se, but you can just see yourself. I had that in a moment of sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like what am I doing with my life? And you know, I can't turn this off and like the caricature it's, it's very eye opening. Yeah. And, Believe me, it wasn't an overnight epiphany. (laughs) It was a lot of people. You know, I had a friend that loved me enough to have a conversation with me and say, man, I think you could be the funniest person in the world, but you're going to settle for being the funniest person in the bar. Wow. And that makes me sad for my friend. And of course, in that moment, I was like, fuck you, man. (laughs) You don't know me. Right. You know, because it hurt to hear that and know that it was true. Right. Um, and then you get to a moment with, you know, not to over dramatize it, but it's like I had, when I finally had that moment where I was getting so far gone that it was almost like two people live inside you. Yes. And there was a moment that I felt like I almost had a, I wouldn't call it a psychotic break, but I would say that I definitely had a moment where I looked in the mirror and I felt like I was having an out of body experience and I was like one of us has to die yeah and we're at the point one of us is about to i've taken it to that point where i was like either this caricature Mm -hmm. alcoholic sad clown that you've turned yourself into wins and the real rafe has to die forever or you have to draw a line in the sand Mm -hmm. dig in and push back and like, and don't get it twisted. You are fighting for your life. Yes. And I know that sounds very dramatic, but that's how it felt in the moment to me. It felt very real to me in the moment. I don't think it sounds dramatic because I've had the exact same thing happen. Sure. And I think maybe to those who don't understand what 
addiction or alcoholism or substance use disorder is like, it does sound dramatic, but like, I would never wish my worst enemy on this. And so I completely like, you just transported me to that moment for myself. So a similar experience. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah just <laughs> well, good. Then I'm not completely batshit insane which I is mean, good to know about my well not for, or we both are <laughs> <laughs> yeah that might be <laughs> damn it um so that was kind of what spurred the foray you know i know i'm trying to watch my language here but it was kind of a shit or get off the pot moment where it was like dude you're 33 and you know that this is your calling you know that this is what you want to do but I was scared, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, because if I failed at that, it mattered. Anything else, any other job I got fired from for not showing up right. or, you know, and the thing that I hated about myself is I had become reliably unreliable. Um, mm-hmm. And that is a tough thing to process, like, from who I was as, like, 13-year-old me. I'm like, man, if he saw who I became, he would be so ashamed of me. And... You can get that credibility back. It takes time. It takes time and a shitload of effort. Mm -hmm. But you can win back your reputation and your credibility. There are, will always be people who remember you and want to remind you of your lowest moments because they're sad people. Right. And you just got to take those on the chin sometimes. I still see people 12 years into sobriety that'll be like, man, last time I saw (laughs) you, you pissed yourself at Greg's party. And I'm like, hey, Frank. (laughs) Thanks for bringing that up in Walmart, dude. Uh, really nice to see you 12 years later. Like, I, you know, it's just like, but some people that's, yeah. you're frozen in that moment in right. time for them. But for the most part, people will respect and, and appreciate that you've made strides in your life. Yes. Um. So I had to go for it with comedy and then crippling stage fright. Because I I don't have the booze to lean on, right? You know, and I talked about this uh, before, but you get to that point where, like, they say that public speaking is the number one fear. Hmm. Like, the old adage is, like, uh, if you're at a funeral, people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, right? Because it's so... The fear of public speaking is greater than the fear of death in the public. Really? Yeah. I don't mind public speaking, but... That's good. You I'm are an weirdo. anomaly. Yeah. <clears throat> a lot of people don't. And then if you add on the consequence of public speaking of everyone expects you to be funny, not only are you have to get up and <laughs> yeah. talk in front of everyone, they expect to be rolling with laughter. That, that's the expectation. Not a surprise. It's not like they're watching... You're giving a, 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 a college... Uh, uh, hell, what do they call it? Commencement uh, speech or yeah. something? And they're like, oh, that guy was kind of funny. <laughs> I didn't expect that. They're coming yeah. expecting you to be funny. The pressure is so high. And yeah. some ner- your nerves get shot. You know, It feels like you're going to fight a lion when you're going up there. So I had to figure out ways to manage my stress and my mental health to be able to kind of... And I just did immersion therapy. And that's kind of how I got into improv and how I got into... I started doing Toastmasters. I started doing, I was looking for a stand up comedy workshop and, and stumbled across the improv shop in its infancy when it wasn't a brick and mortar place. It was more of Pats? a. Pats? When it was above Pats? It was even before Pats. Wow. Before we were doing it above fried chicken joints. It was still almost an ephemeral 
we were bouncing around town doing doing classes and doing shows at different venues oh, that wow. did not want us there. Back of back of bars a lot of times. And um, you're newly sober. Pretty newly Going sober, to the back yeah. Of bars, yeah, yeah. I took a year. I got hard. sober in twenty eleven and I took a year. Congrats. To get it. Before I before I added anything to my plate, Good. I just took a year to get my shit together. Then in twenty twelve I started stand up and then in 2013 i started improv so i have a decade of improv i just realized that the other day wow um and over a decade of comedy. yeah yeah over a decade of comedy and well i guess if we take away covid i don't know how that works <laughs> no, out because i spent a, i did do a couple zoom shows but man it didn't feel like zoom comedy. shows are so awkward oh awful oh and we had to pretend like they weren't which was the worst part yeah um but all of those things led me to, I'm like, it's almost just like, if you're scared of swimming with sharks, swim with sharks. You know, that was kind of like, until it feels just normal. And that, it worked. Because an improv is, improv you share the responsibility of the funny, so it didn't feel as, and you take the wins and losses as a team. It's not, you don't have to bear that burden of the weight of like, ugh. Because when you bomb in stand-up comedy... The audience is saying, we don't like you. <laughs> You're not a character. You're not playing a guy in a play. You're not playing a wacky neighbor. You are just being you, and an audience is rejecting that. And it's like, that can hurt so bad. And you said something before we were on the air, which I thought was like kind of a really brilliant oh. thing I hadn't thought about. And I was like, it's funny to me because improv, improv is making it up on the spot and making it look like you're not. And stand-up is doing a very uh, rehearsed act and making it look like it's made up on the spot. Because that's the magic of stand-up is can you communicate in a way that it feels like these ideas, it's the first time you're expressing these ideas. It doesn't feel right. choppy and robotic and rehearsed. And then improv is like you're literally just flying by the seat of your pants. But it, if you do it well, at the end of it, people are like, no way. Right. You guys rehearsed that, and I was like, "No, you, that's the magic of improv, of good improv." And there's bad improv too, believe me. <laughs> of course, I'm, I've been a part of some of it. Stand up, like down to the like waiting a beat, like that is it's that rehearsed, right? It can be, yeah. People work different ways, but so I yes, think I would say for the most part, bombing on stand up that has to affect your mental health, and oh, yeah. <laughs> like I mean, I can't. I'm not. I would. I would not be able to do that today. Improv, I've noticed personally, and this is where, you know, clearly some therapy is still needed, which I've done lots of, but like thinking, oh my, and I'm, I'm only on level three. So like, sure. I'm not, I think there's what, five levels. So yeah, five or six now they change the curriculum around. That's okay. But like, I'll be like, oh, my group doesn't think, doesn't, doesn't like me or, oh, they didn't want me to say that. And it's like. It's oh, very yeah. mental, you know, and you have to be like, one of my instructors said, like, your group will never be like, that wasn't good. It will be like, what could we change? Or, I mean, you, because you taught improv, right? You taught, yep. I know you taught sketch comedy there, yep. which I really want to do. Um, it's just so tied up in our own ego, really, and how to, like, let that go. Yeah, and that's why I think stand-ups have a hard time doing improv sometimes because stand-up is very much you are ship captain and crew, good or bad. You decide what is said, when it's said, how it's said, and who it is said to. And then I think a lot of stand-ups, 
it's really fear-based. They get in this improv and they're like, oh, this sucks. This is stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, you just didn't want to relinquish control. Right. You didn't want to collaborate. And it's scary to collaborate and fail. It's scary to put yourself out there and say a line that maybe may not be intrinsically funny and count on someone else to finish the joke for you or vice versa. Someone else is coming at you with something and you have to accept it and figure out a way to find the funny. And that that could be terrifying to someone who's used to standing up there and saying, this is my joke. I rehearsed it in the mirror at home talking into a hairbrush and I know exactly how I want to say it. Um, but it's all fear-based. Do you know what I mean? Right. It, Everything in life is fear-based. I mean, right. why, why are we drinking? Why are we, right. we snorting, partying? Right. Whatever your right, whatever your destruction of choice is, like it's usually fear-based. It's you. It's you know, and I I can only speak from my own personal experience that my my addiction and alcoholism was a symptom that became the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, me hiding my head in the sand, probably. On some childhood stuff I wasn't dealing with, and also probably not doing the thing I knew I was meant to do. Right. And trying to reconcile that and feeling like a failure or feeling like um, I was living someone else's version of me. And then at some point, the thing I was numbing the pain with became to the front and center. Right. I'm like, oh, now this is the problem. Right. The other thing is now, <laughs> the other thing now is orbiting yes. booze. Yes. Where it used to be the other way around, and you don't know when it happens; it just happens. There's like a you you cross this event point, horizon yeah. where you're like, oh boy, right? Booze just became Jupiter, right? And uh, it perpetuates it and sure. it adds to it, and then all of a sudden you're like, sure. I've got issues with this now and that now. Sure, and- sure. And yeah, you know, <laughs> she asked me last week, and it was a good question, so I'm going to repeat it. Yes. She said, "Do you think you would be where you are if you were still drinking?" And I, my answer was, "Fuck no," because I be I'd have burned my career to the ground. 10 times over by now just from the thing i talked about about being reliably unreliable mm-hmm. um you know i'd have showed up drunk or yep. not showed up at all yep. or who knows mm-hmm. said something you know on stage that i don't even remember saying uh yeah. it goes viral and uh <laughs> You're done. you know yeah and there's so much there's so many ways to be successful in comedy now that didn't exist 10 years ago. But the downside of that is there's so many ways to be seen, whether you want to be seen or not, you know, like you can go viral real easy, good or bad. Um, so, you know, you have, it's a business with a lot of money tied up in it. Comedy is still a business. There's people trying to make, you know, the clubs have to make money. The clubs need to sell tickets. They need to have happy customers. And yes, you're an artist, but at the same time, art and commerce meet. And it's like, I would have, I would have ruined the commerce side for sure. Have you seen a difference from 11 years of stand up? You know, now you can get on Instagram or TikTok and I can look up reels, you know, that you've done. And, a comedian the other day said, you know, it's really difficult now. Like people are watching comedy like this, you know, like quietly or they're reading it like, ha 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 ha. And then you go to there, you know, you go to a club and you want to like laugh out loud. And if you don't have this over the top, it's like, ah, he was okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, it would be, I think it would be a lie to say that 
comedy hasn't changed or that the way comedy is being consumed hasn't affected um, live performance because I and I I truly believe the best way to see comedy is live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a communal experience. It starts out adversarial and by the end when they don't know you. Right. Because that's I'm still at that point. I'm just now getting to where people are starting to come to see me, which is really? so great. I'm surprised just by that. Just the last couple of years, okay. I have fans now that come to see me they like my they know what they're getting comedy is the only thing we don't do this with music we're like where are you going to see tonight and be like music <laughs> what kind <laughs> don't know but it better be the kind i like i'm like well it might be jazz i hate jazz well then you should probably look it up right but people right. don't look that up they just say i'm going to see comedy huh and, and lots. if it's and because of the echo chamber of the internet and only seeing the type of comedy you respond to when you see an artist or a comedian doing something that isn't your wheelhouse, you think your right is to reject it and, and call it definitively bad when maybe it just wasn't for you. The same way, like, you may not right. like the Foo Fighters, right. then don't go to a Foo Fighters concert. Right. That doesn't mean the Foo Fighters aren't a great band. Huh. But that is kind of what we deal with, with people seeing stuff online. Now, it also makes it able... The good side of that is you can build a fan base on your own. You don't need the gatekeepers have lost a little power. Um, good or bad, like the the old system, you have to adapt to as a comedian because the old system of like I came up through the clubs and I hosted and then I middled, which is called featuring, and then after I was really good at that and I could do thirty minutes and crush, they boomed me up to headliner and they're it was almost like a farm league, like you know Triple mm-hmm. A Memphis, and now you're the headliner. Those days are starting to wane because there's just too many people building their own fan base and at the end of the day you got to sell tickets you know so so not just for you comedy overall now there's like just three people performing instead of opener no there still is openers but i'm saying like it used to be you move through the progressions oh i got you yes of like well i hosted for a few (laughs) years and i got really good then i featured for a few years and i got really good and then they moved me up to headliner and people and the club did the work to sell the tickets and you put on a good show and there are still clubs like that that like they're the draw Mm -hmm. people come to this club because that's where they come for date night for comedy but more and more with instagram and social media and things like that people are coming to see the the person Right. They're coming to see the person that they saw on their phone on the toilet. They want to see <laughs> that person live. And sometimes that person's not even a comedian. Sometimes that person is a TikTok star. Sometimes right. and I don't have any I don't have any ill will towards those people. Right. Like some comedians will be like, I don't like when these TikTok YouTube people come in and I'm like, Yeah, but all they have is the thing we all want, which is an right. audience that right. loves them, right? I want that. I'm t- I've done my time proving it to people like i've gotten up there because comedy at its core when it's live is it almost starts out like make me laugh clown boy <laughs> and then you get get them laughing they're like i love this guy and you it's can like, feel it you can feel the room change mm-hmm. and that is the magic of live comedy is i my uh a friend of mine uh um told me one time another comedian and it was really he goes you know we're the closest things to wizards that exist in the world. And I was like, well, let's not. <laughs> and he goes, we are, man. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know about that. And he goes, well, we change people's blood pressure with words. Huh. And he's like, we say a spell, a joke, out into the air, and we change people's complete mental attitude. We change the air in the room. 
And he goes, tell me anything closer. And I was like, well, all right, well, you got a point, I guess. You know, it's like you say you're changing people's state of mind with words and you're changing people's the way they're breathing. You're, You're getting an you're getting a what would you call laughter, like an involuntary response out of a person. Uh, with words right and he's like that's basically just you casting a spell on someone he's like yeah I mean, granted yeah. they're not falling in love with you and they're not uh you never know but you know there is some magic in that and that's why i think live comedy there's always diminishing returns when you watch like a special or i think it's a good way to get it out to the masses um but i would always be a proponent of go see live comedy because that's kind of where the magic happens in the room and you know that's another downside of that we have to own as comedians. I see a lot of videos that are like crowd work, you know, comedian owns heckler. You know, it's a lot of like comedians interacting with the crowd. And like, I don't particularly do that. Most comedians don't, and they don't like their show being interrupted because comedy has a rhythm and it has a, but then I might, well, and I'll be comics like, man, crowds are getting worse. They're talking all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but that's all we post. We're posting videos of us talking to the crowd. So if you're a lame, if you've never been to a live comedy show, you think that's that's what it is. You think you show up, you talk shit, we have an interaction, and you're part of the show, and that's fine. There are some comedians that do that, but that's like a downside, I think, of the social media stuff. That okay? I went to the Funny Bone last weekend, and these people just kept talking, and I'm like, that is against the rules. That is not what you do at a comedy show. Right. Like, shut up. And I didn't think about that. I, I was just like, oh, I guess St. Louis. Sometimes I get super snobby because I lived in New York. Yeah. And that's all about ego for me. But I'm like, maybe this is like a St. Louis thing? Nah, that's an everywhere. There are some people that just don't know how to be in public also. Oh, and COVID you know. didn't help that. Yeah. Like I did a show in Cincinnati with Jeremiah Watkins and a lady got kicked out. And she was incredulous. They had talked the whole show. Full volume. Not even about the show. They're just having their own town hall meeting. And they finally kicked her out. Good. And on her way out, she was, you know, she's like, this is bullshit. Yelling at him on stage. And he's like, you know, you're bullshit. You've been talking the whole show. We've been trying. She's like, you're telling me I can't come to the show, order a pizza, and ask my mom how her day is. No, you can't. And he was like. Yeah, no, that sucks. Don't know. <laughs> Go to a restaurant. Like right. you're at a show. Everyone else paid to hear the comedy, but some people really there are just people like that. There's no amount of any training you can do, but you also have to yeah. train audiences on how to be at a comedy show. Okay, so back to the mental health. So if you come Friday, <laughs> I won't say a word. Y'all be quiet. <laughs> Let me do my thing and we'll talk after the show. Unless I talk to you, in which case it means I'm probably not doing well. Right. Speaking of and Friday, Tina Dibel. D-Ball. D-Ball. Yeah. I, that's what I meant to say. That's okay. And Mike Anthony. Mike Anthony, correct. I have told so many people in all areas of my life, and so many people were like, oh my God, hilarious. Saw them, you know, fly over. Saw yeah, they're them great. Here. Yeah. No, all three of you. Like, it's been really cool, because- You're really I, getting three headliners. I know. To be honest. I get the I, I get the ego of it, but- Tina and Mike are headliners in their own regard. So. Well, and the way the flyer was set up, I was like, oh, I don't I don't know politically how that works because I think it said, it great. okay, okay. Because I know I had reached out to you and was like, oh, you and Tina, are you Tina and Libby? 
And you're like, yeah, that's three headliners. So when I saw that Tina was on there, I was like, oh. Well, she's getting ready to go out on tour. I know, and so, she's with Tammy, right? With Tammy. So yes. I just, we got lucky and asked her, where I was like, do you want to just tune up and come do this show? And she's like, yeah, that sounds great. She's and also, amazing. you know, she's been sober as well. Uh, she kicked heroin in her teens. Uh, which is tough to do. Yeah. And so she understands that world too. And Mike also, Mike is also sober uh, for a few oh, years. Oh, that's right. You told me that. So, and none of us are going to talk about it. Which is... Well, we might talk about it a little, but not a lot. It's not a big chunk of any of our acts. Well, and it's not a sober comedy night. And I know we talked at length. It's like, yep. I've been to sober comedy nights and it's one thing... You know, I want to, uh, my whole, with Sands Bar, which we do alcohol-free events for anyone over 21 and up, I always want to bring everyone together. So I think for so long, you know, sure. us sober people were over in that corner. And it's like, I don't want that to run my life. And so, like, I think you can be sober and be a yeah. successful comedian and not have it overlap. It will probably overlap, like you said, sure. because it's just part of your life. For sure. So I'm really glad. I think it's amazing, and I know I'm talking your ear off. Um, no, no, you're good. I think it's amazing that the three of you are all, you've all had your own journey with addiction, substance use disorder. Sure. And how you've all come on the other side and look at you now. Yeah, you know, and it's it's always day by day, you know, but at the same time, like, and when it comes to our comedy, I can speak for myself and tell you that, I always say I'm a I'm sober, not square. So it's like I, I'm not. I try not to make because so many, and it's okay if you do this. If this is what keeps you sober, then do this. Right. But I am not. I it is not my personality. My personality is not my sobriety. And sometimes I think it's the same thing about like the um, the alleviating of suffering. Right? Mm -hmm. Like we all suffered. That's why we're sober now. We've all been through some sort right. of suffering to. To just swing the hammer right on the hit the nail on the head for an hour and talk to tell jokes solely right. about like being sober or when I wasn't sober. Um, it can be cathartic, and I, I don't have any problem with jokes like that, but I don't necessarily want to beat people over the head with them. Right. We're all just trying to have a good time because right. you can just have fun. I'm a lot more fun now that I don't oh, drink yeah. because I'm not a bull in a china shop and people are like, oh, you're fun to be around. You right. didn't get past that point of no return where like now it's like, you're not. Oh, yeah, <laughs> now I'm wrangling you for the rest of the night and it's not fun. Right. Now you've given me a job to do. So, you know, I want people to come to the event expecting just to have a good time. Yeah. And uh, that we're all, you know, we all have journeys and I would love to talk about sobriety and stuff after if anybody wants yeah. to chat about it. I'm always open to that. Uh, but just come to laugh and have a good time and it's not PG. I think we should Which talk about great. that because I don't think it should be. You're not coming to see Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> I'm not a filthy, filthy boy, <laughs> but I am not going to do 20 minutes about Hot Pockets. So right. it's comedy. Don't bring your kids. That's all no, I'm saying. Right. Right. And the drinks are all alcohol free, but for anyone over 21. So speaking of drinks, I want to end with a question of you bartended sober. I know yeah. I, I have tried that in my life and it has not ever worked. I had to go after many times of getting sober and then getting behind the bar and that sobriety ending. I just ended up being on the floor serving. Sure. 
I've seen you at the improv shop, and I sound like such a stalker, but I've seen you. You used to bartend. Yeah, I helped set the bar up. Like, I hope when we finally oh. got brick and mortar places, John Langan and I kind of got the bar up and running, and just because we had experience in that right. field, because it was very much, it's such a community there that it was kind of like, well, what's your background? All right, well, you can help with this. So you do drywall, maybe you can help us fix this. Right. Oh, what? And everybody kind of chipped in their expertise. Besides comedy, because we didn't have, right. you know, Kevin McKern is the owner. He he started a Craigslist ad to teach comedy after he got done doing I.O. in New York. Right. Or excuse me, in Chicago. And so a lot of that, the, I call us the old heads, you know, uh, that were, when it was very much touch and go, it didn't have the, the two theater right. brick and mortar um, paved parking lot. Yeah, that just got paved. Uh, yeah, like, you know, it's weird. To, it's, I always tell them I feel like it's the movie X-Men where I'm like, I somehow became Professor X when I'm like, no, I'm Wolverine. I'm like the wild card guy. And they're like, nah, man, you're a teacher now. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not a teacher. I'm crazy. And they're like, yeah, but like these kids look up to you and like you got to teach them how to do improv. And I'm like, I don't like this. You are a legend. But it's like, well, legends stretch, but thank you. Um, It's just like it became an institution. And yeah. we don't know when it happened. It was it was just a thing. We were like, man, this is so ephemeral, and like this can end at any moment. And let's just put on as many good shows as we can. And through the hard work of others, um, it became a thing. And tending bar, I think I was able to. I also worked at a place called Lori's Place in Edwardsville, um, and I was a very raging drunk when I worked there, and I got sober when I worked there. And it was a mom and pop place where people cared about me, mm-hmm. and I think that worked to my advantage. I had people around me that cared about me and knew what I was trying to do and supported me yeah. and kept an eye on me and kept me honest. And honestly, you know, another weird thing, and I've talked to other people that have gotten sober while working in a bar. I found it helpful because I got to see at about one in the morning mm-hmm. an example and a stark, harsh reminder of the guy I never had to be again. There was always one, or girl, wasn't always guys. There was always one falling down, (laughs) drunk, who was like interjecting in other people's conversations and thinking they were crushing it when people were like, dude, get the fuck away from us. But like, all right, anyway, (laughs) they loved me anyway. Who else wants to love me? You know, like I got to see someone stumbling around the bar making an ass of themselves. Um, And that to me was like a shot in the arm every night of like, that's why you don't do this. You don't ever have to be that guy again, man. You gave yourself the gift of never having to be that guy again. Bartending is a lot like um, babysitting two-year-olds. Like For sure. When they need to eat. Oh, get no notice. Um, so I'll just end on this. I think, thank you for all that you have done. And thank you for headlining. Yeah, I'm pumped about Friday. it. People come out if they don't, I'll, you know, who knows. <laughs> um, thank you for opening up to us. Um and, you know, I think thank you for creating the community that is the improv shop because I think it's a good place for people to go and to feel a part of, you know? Well, I appreciate it. I had a very small hand in that. There are, you had a hand, but, um, yeah, it's a great place. It's a good community. Uh, and, you know, it is a good thing to do 
if you're newly sober and you're trying to like branch out and get a new community because i know that was a big part of my sobriety wasn't necessarily chemical dependency as much as um the societal implications of me not drinking when you're the party guy or you're the you know you lose your booze friends you lose your you know people who do heroin hang out with people who do heroin right people who <laughs> you rarely see a mixed bag where they're like well this is doug he's into heroin and this is molly she's a fall down drunk and me i just love cocaine it's like you very rarely see that group of folks right. it's usually you know you run with people who are into your drug of choice and then like sometimes you have to you have to do pull the ripcord and get away from folks even if you love them right to keep yourself sober because they're not ready they're not where you're at they're not ready and sometimes they got to disconnect from you because mm-hmm. your sobriety is a reflection of their weakness it, yeah it makes them very uncomfortable and it is very hard because i've lost friends i have friends still that you know i get 3 a.m texts and i'm like let's have lunch tomorrow let's talk and then i get the the 8 a.m text like hey don't worry about those texts right. last night and i could tell they want it and they want to find it right. but they have to find it on their own terms right. and it's hard can't force it can't force it and uh the improv shop is such a it was a good community for me to surround myself in while i was in the early stages of sobriety because i was only about a year in when i started finding these folks and like they will support you on whatever path Mm -hmm. you're on they understand Mm -hmm. whether it's mental health you know stuff like that i mean obviously improv is not therapy some people have made that mistake in the past because there is a vulnerable element to it Go to therapy, <laughs> yes. but also do improv. <laughs> right, they can work together. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, if you're th- out there, you're listening to this, and you're thinking about doing something cool, check out the improv shop. Take level zero. It's very yes. low level zeros for like if I'm terrified to do this thing, you can kind of get your feet wet. You don't have to perform in front of anyone. It's it's in a closed environment, and you'll feel very uh, supported and loved. Yeah. It's um. I did it. I took an improv class before I moved back to St. Louis, and really liked it. But it's hard to meet people in St. Louis as an adult. And I did it just to meet people. And it's such an inclusive sure. community that I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, there's a nice Venn diagram of, mm-hmm. because it's a small city. Like when you do improv in New York, or you do improv in Chicago or L.A., it's all people who want to be yeah. professional comedians or actors. And the stakes are kind of like, it can be, the stakes are so high that it can not feel can feel competitive yes whereas here there's a nice venn diagram like there are some of us in that professional arena and then there's a some of us who probably have the talent but they're not going to leave their job at wash U <laughs> to right. make no money as a comedian right and then there's people that enjoy the just being part of the community yeah. and the improv is just a bonus that goes with it and there's a nice little crossover of those folks and the because of st louis's uh, general Midwestern friendly attitude, I think it some of the pitfalls mm-hmm. of other larger improv scenes go away, which is like, we're all here to hang out, have a good time, love each other and laugh. And you can find your niche. Mm-hmm. If it's the people that are going hard, then be on a team that's going hard. If it's people that just enjoy hanging out once a week and sharing their lives together, you'll find your people. Yeah, no matter what age. No matter what age. Yep. I've got two people in my class who are probably in their 70s. Yeah. And they're out there killing it. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Well, Max just came over and gave me the eye. So I've talked to you. He gave me the finger. You guys couldn't see it. 
pretty rude. Thank you so much for coming on twice. Um, no problem. And uh, you can hear more from Rafe on Friday, this Friday, March 3rd, 7 p.m. Doors open at 6.30. Uh, it's going to be a great show. All proceeds go to Prevent Ed, which if you like this podcast, if you could please like, subscribe, share, um, help get the word out, that would be great. And uh, see you on Friday. Review, comment. <laughs> yes, review, comment. Engagement. <laughs> Send to your friends. Post on social media. Um so yeah, thank you, Rafe. You're welcome. Thank you for All having right. me. I appreciate you. Of course. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for joining us at The Preventable, brought to you ad-free by Prevent Ed. Prevent Ed works to reduce or prevent the harms of alcohol and other drug use through education, intervention, and advocacy. Please visit their website at prevented.org. Like what you heard? Rate, review, and subscribe to stay up to date with what we are serving on The Preventable.